Hello, hello, and welcome to Review 2. This time we're Review 2-ing Songs of Surrender. Disc 1, The Edge. Welcome to another edition of Review 2. My name is Tyler. Here with me, as always, is Johnny. Say hello, Johnny. Hello. We are two bespectacled U2 fans. We love talking about that too, although we don't do it that often these days. No, every now and then. However, today is the first in a series of episodes dedicated to the latest U2 release, Songs of Surrender. Mm. Regular listeners will know what we do. We go track by track and give our thoughts and critique and as if they hold any weight at all. Yeah. They don't. You just heard a track, a reworking of the Review 2 theme. A reimagining, yeah. Uh, that was by a talented young artist in uh, the Burnage area, wasn't it, Johnny? Yeah, that was my version of it. Oh, we... I thought, oh, I thought it was a talented young artist. Uh, uh, there will be other reworkings <laughs> of that incredible theme tune um, at some point in the following episodes as well. Yeah, so good to be back. We've had uh, a quite a short break for us, only four months away this time. Yeah, and, and but we needed a good occasion to come back, and this is, you know... It's an occasion to come back, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, that's the best way of describing it. It's an occasion. <laughs> a 40-song-long occasion. So I actually don't know what the response from the YouTube community has been. I love our presence on... The, the mainly the Twitter YouTube community. I love being there and I love popping my head in every now and then, but I feel like when an album comes out, I don't want to know what everybody else thinks about it straight away. Yeah. Particularly if I'm going to review it. I So really, today will be the first time I've heard anybody else's opinions on the album. I've completely avoided any kind of reviews. I don't know... If it's been panned, if it's been, uh, if you two have been held aloft through the streets of Dublin, and you know everyone's patting them, patting them on the back, going, "Well done, guys, you did it again." I just don't know. I have no idea. And listening to it, I have it doesn't give me any clues as to what the U two community at large will will think about this album. Yeah, I've tried to stay away from most reviews. I have dipped my toe in the water a little bit. Um, mixed seems to be the response from most people i think it's because it's such a enormous project that it's going to have so many different opinions on it and i i'm still trying to figure out what, what i actually think about this i guess the thing that i think most clearly about it is that like with a lot of youtube projects no line on the horizon for example it's weakest points are because it doesn't have a particular focus so what is Songs of Surrender? I actually tried to explain this to my partner in, in the car at one point, and it took about 10 minutes. Okay, It's really difficult to actually explain what the hell this project is. So it's not a new album, and it's not them just covering all their stuff acoustically. Bono talked about the fact that some of these songs were quote-unquote unfinished, but then a lot of them are seemingly complete songs that they've covered again and then rewritten, but not all of them are completely rewritten. It's not a chill out album where they're taking old songs and completely rejigging them although in some places they've started to do that 
what is songs of surrender it's a dog's breakfast i would say of lots and lots of different things it is strange and the question that i keep coming back to is why <laughs> on on the marketing for the album they kept saying reimagined yeah. these are reimagined tracks and mm. i think that's a very important phrase to use uh, because i think they have possibly run into the the same the same kind of question why why are you doing this what what is it for you know what's what's the purpose um, it, it is one of the stranger U2 releases. Yeah, I think one way to answer the question of what this project is, is Edge was bored during lockdown. So it seems to me like a very Edge-fronted programme and project. And we know that he loves to get in the studio and twiddle around with things and change things up. Bono's there, obviously, as the front man to carry the songs. Adam is sort of present and Larry is here and there every now and then. I'm almost surprised when I'm like, oh, there's some actual percussion on here. Is it confirmed that they are definitely on the album? What, Adam and Larry? Yeah. I've read a couple of things. Like I said, we've tried to avoid reviews because we yeah. want we have our own opinions about this sort of thing. We don't really want to be swayed. But in some of the snootier reviews, like I saw that in the Pitchfork one, someone mentioned that Adam did a little bit. Um, I mean, he's listed on the album um, as bass duties. And Larry's stuff was a lot of previous samples and older things that he the edge had lying around because if you think about how many hundreds of hours they have of, of loops from larry there's probably is yeah possibly a... thousands of takes yeah yeah and so and we don't know what larry's health status was at that particular time so fair enough there's no criticism here but as i tried to bring across in that reimagined theme tune i went very heavy on the edgy stuff so like there's an acoustic guitar synthesizer hmm. there's a little bit of bass and there's basically no percussion and that's what a lot of these songs are but not all of them. This is what happens. Every time you try to like think, what is this project? If you said, oh, you two have done 10 of the famous, most famous songs, acoustic. Okay, interesting. Let's see what that is. But then this isn't also an album of deep cuts that they've gone back to until some bits of it are like that. So like Dirty Day, who would have expected that to turn up on, on this? So it's, it's just, a, it's like Edge had loads of time on his hand and rather than think about something and focus it, He's just gone wild, and now we've got 40 reimagined songs, hmm. some of which work really well, some of which I would say are spectacularly misjudged. 40's and, a lot. Yeah, it is. And this, this is the other thing. Just because something sounds good doesn't mean there's an actual artistic justification for doing it. We have a song called 40, U2 says, let's do 40 tracks. Meh, is, is that a good enough reason to do 40 songs? Is that really like a good enough reason? Also... When they were trying to promote this, I heard them on Radio 2, and we've got this, uh, you know, disc one, The Edge, disc two, Larry, etc. Is there any rhyme or reason to that? Are these songs that mean a lot to The Edge? And even they said, Bono was like, it's just a, it's just a marketing gimmick, you know, like playing SOS on that Radio 2 thing. So m- before we even get into the track by track, which is coming very soon, but I... We promise it will turn up eventually. Uh, my problem with this whole thing, from the moment it was announced, there were... About sixteen different versions of it of yeah. the of the album. Oh yeah, yeah. Different colored vinyl, uh, deluxe, semi deluxe, super uber duper deluxe. Yeah. Uh, you know, Bono come around and lick your face while you're listening to it. All those kinds of you know that was a very limited edition release. Yeah. But it, it's kind of come out of the blue. We, we've not heard. We've heard rumblings that a new album is finished and ready to go. We've heard that months, maybe year, you know a, a year or so back. Mm-hmm. Bono's autobiography came out. 
there was nice little snippets of songs in it. That did get me excited as well. We mentioned this on the last episode. I was excited when I heard those snippets and thought, oh, this could be a really interesting project. Yeah. But then the next thing you hear is like, oh, there's all these different versions. And I'm a record collector. I like to have nice editions of stuff and you know little curios like the uber deluxe of acton baby uh which people want to look at people want to see you know oh what's included in this it's, it's a magnificent package it's mm. they, they might not be able to top that but i have noticed noticed recently that they've been giving less and less merchandise in in the even the highest price editions of of the records which is, is fine it's up to them but the amount of editions my basic instinct is that this is a cash grab. Yeah, I was wondering if you if you come around to to that that term. And you know, if you're a record collector, you might see some value in it. But it's kind of like if there's four different versions and one of them is a chase version, slightly harder to get. Mm. There's some fun involved in that. You know, just popping into a record store that you don't normally go into, you might see it. Oh, like, that it's happened in to move. me. That happened to me with um, No Line on the Horizon. I didn't buy the record of No Line on the Horizon in 2009 because I didn't particularly care for it. Mm-hmm. But many years later, I wanted it to complete the collection. And this is like a collection of its own. I don't know how many different editions there are now. It seems to be that, yeah, it's, it's, I don't, I don't, I'm not a record collector like you or, or anyone. Um, and, you know, more power to people who really want them. But if it's just, you know, looking up and saying, I haven't got the teal one. I need, I need that to go next to the mauve one. You know, that, that's okay, fine. Well, this is what I mean. I feel like they've, they've priced even the most uh, hardened collectors out of the market with it. Because even if you do want to have all of them, what joy are you going to have? Oh, this one's pink and that one's blue. Mm. I, I, I don't get it, and it, it doesn't appeal to me, and it. Th- that's what I can't get my head around. If if they've put people like me off even buying one of them, mm. because it it's ruined, it's kind of ruined my fun. Then, it, and I don't think it's you two's fault. I think it's the the marketing department's fault. Oh, we can we can go big on this. You know, we can yeah. we can really have this record everywhere, literally. You know, just walk through the street, you'll see like a couple of limited edition vinyls just, mm. just you know, strewn there. But th- that's, my, that's my problem with it. And this is, it's only a problem because all this happened before I'd heard the album. Yeah, and it kind of pre-ruins it. Yeah, yeah. I, I already kind of wasn't looking forward to it because I know I know <laughs> I wasn't I wasn't going to, to chase those different versions of the album. Yeah. I don't have it. It's the only U2 album I don't own. I've listened to it on Spotify. I'm sure you'll get the Canary Yellow edition at some point, or the I don't know Sage edition. I, I, but like, I I wonder I do wonder if other people have felt like that. And I know I could have gone on Twitter, but I didn't want to say I didn't want to do anything or ruin anything. I, I think overwhelmingly, and we may as well say this right here, overwhelmingly from what I've seen on Twitter, um, I'm, the YouTube community is incredibly positive in all the right sort of ways. Yeah, um, people seem to be very happy about it. I saw someone who just completed all of the different, you know. 150 Pokemon style versions of this and it's put them together. Fine, more power to you again. Like if you if you want to do that, that's fine. One of the things though when we're going in is we we weren't particularly excited about this album. Or at least I can only speak for myself really, but because I just really like you two facing forward. I accepted the Joshua Tree stuff. It was an incredible tour. Nice to have a DVD at some point. Uh, but anyway, and I accepted that as a kind of one-off and I didn't then want them to churn through okay and now Acton Baby and now blah blah blah, blah and all that other kind of stuff but and I, and if this is a lockdown project that I just got a little bit carried away with then that's great that's good but I would just so much rather them use these years when they are still obviously ready and hungry 
to do to write music or to to record music at least to mm. put some new music out there. I've, I'd much rather hear that than than this. So this isn't really a project aimed at me in any sort of way. So we are going to be quite critical going in here. If that isn't something you want you want to hear, then we always have been. Though. We've always been really critical, even of the the stuff we really love. We've been very critical of it. Yeah, and I think some people tend to appreciate that we're not just saying track one amazing track two even better than track one track yeah. three oh my god because what's the point in that what what that wouldn't be a useful or honest thing to do really yeah so to finish off my my point i had a, a bit of a dilemma do i buy it even though i don't really want it and they've not really appealed to me mm-hmm. just to have it or do i not and i've decided so far to not do because i feel that as great as it is when they've got something, they are a band that can go away for quite a long time and leave us in the wilderness without them yeah. before they come back with something. So there can be the excitement of, yeah, I really want to get this new art and I want to love it and I understand that. But if you don't love it and it genuinely doesn't appeal to you, you're not doing yourself any favours by saying, I love this. Yeah. And by buying 16 different versions of an album that you don't want. Because... They will then think, oh, this is what they want. Yeah, people and they'll, with their wallets. And they'll do they'll do more of this stuff. Mm. And that's a warning for anything they bring out in the future. Um, don't just support it because it's you too. Like support it if you, because because you like it, and that's the only way they will continue to learn what's working. Because if you just support them uh, in a very blind sighted way doesn't do anyone any favours, it doesn't do them any favours, it doesn't do their legacy any favours, and it really, you as a fan, doesn't do you any favours. Well, maybe the vast majority of people are, are more happy and excited about it, maybe, but yeah. But I, I think I'm guilty sometimes of going, oh, this is going to be great. Yeah. You know, and then, like, I'll get a few years down the line. Yeah. And it's... Well, you're a natural optimist, not... really, to my pessimist, I would say. Yeah, I think so, yeah. <laughs> but, but anyway, there we go. There's just the warning, and that isn't really relevant, or strictly relevant, to the songs of surrender which i'm going to call sos from now on the songs of surrender album sos but just a warning about future releases i think we as as a fan group we need to agree on that oh from them you mean we need yeah we need, we can't we can't just like I mean, a warning their... for our future no, podcast no, no uh, a warning to fans about future U2 releases. You you have to be honest with them and tell them, and be honest if you don't like it. Dear Bono, I was gold to see that you've released this vinyl in 14 editions. Um, I just wanted to end this little little segment by talking... Have you been reading my mail? <laughs> um, I wanted to just finish this last little section by just very briefly discussing the actual album artwork. From what I can tell, and maybe I'm wrong, there are three pictures squarely from the pop era and then a picture of bono from the 80s with his (laughs) with his mullet and i can't look at that album cover without thinking it's odd yeah also that 75 percent of that then is pop focused isn't it in its imagery and every u2 fan more or less will be able to go that's pop era uh, adam you know um that's pop era Larry, who looks great in these pictures. Adam, Edge, and Larry look fantastic. The picture of Bono, he says he doesn't like his mullet. Why have a picture of him on anyway? Yeah. Okay. How much pop have we got on this record? One track. Hmm. So it just wrong foots me from the start. I'm like, who okayed this? Like, if you show it to any U2 fan at the, like the early draft stage, they go, "This is weird." Is that yeah. just because it ties in with Bono's book? Well, does it need to? That's Bono's book. It's not these forty songs. 
So, yeah. On, I want to be positive before we start as well, right? The So that's on the bad side of things. Not thought through, maybe a bit of a garbled thing, and also just not focused enough on what its objectives are. But in a really positive sense, do you remember that release that was, I think it was given out with The Times, um, which had the version of I Remember You on it, live from yeah. Irving Plaza? Right. That that is the essence of what I think you two can do really well with these quote-unquote reimaginings of things. <laughs> Because I Remember You is a bubblegum pop song, beautiful song, I love the Ramones, but what you 2 did with that by cracking it open and getting to the sweet, sweet goo inside is to find the beauty of that song beyond its simple roots. You know, it was a bubblegum pop song with guitars chugging along with power chords, but then they change it into this almost like a prayer thing, and it's beautiful, and it means a lot, and it can tr take you in like a transcendent direction, or at least it did when I first heard it. That's what I would have hoped this is. You know, you take something, flip it on its head, crack it open, and find the interesting stuff in there. And occasionally they do do that. So, there, so uh, there's a lot of positivity going into, into this on my front, but with caveats. Okay, so here we go with the track by track. In at number track one. <laughs> in at number track one. It's one. Yep. At three minutes 36. Uh, yeah, originally from the album Acton Baby, I believe. It was, yeah. They love putting one at number one, don't yeah, they? Yeah, they do. It's sort of a no-brainer, isn't it? It would be funny to put it at two, just to wind people up, I think. Yeah. A little bit of that Bono mischief would, wouldn't go awry. But it's... Uh, yeah, it's, I, I think I was going to say it's strange track listing, but it isn't strange track listing here. I think it's a solid idea because, A, it's one, so we put it at one, but also... Um, Why did Donald Trump say that? <laughs> So I've got this house called One. We could put it right at the start. <laughs> um, anyway, I hope he's in jail by now. Um, so, so it does make sense, this version, because most people are aware of it. Um, and I think this is a very good version. A lot of the time when we go through these, we might be blazing through quite quickly. But something I'll keep saying is, what lovely piano. So what lovely piano on this? Yeah, um, I mean, the piano at the start of one actually reminded me of another song in the U2 canon, and I can't quite place it. Mm. It doesn't seem quite one-y. It, it seems something other. Something other? Yeah. Uh, but I'm not sure, I don't know, maybe that's something people can get in touch with. Maybe they've like got a, a keener ear than mine. It just seems to... I, and I think they're deliberately trying to do something that, it, you know, it's... You know harkening back to another song which may be linked thematically or story-wise um i mean i can't hear anything it sounds like one to me yeah but it just sounds like a johnny cash stripped down version essentially. I, I just thought i'd ask you <laughs> well if anyone knows then let tyler know so he's just being mad um do you know that larry speaking of piano plays a piano on this he's got a piano credit on this oh right and i asked um well i just mentioned that on twitter have you bought the physical edition then no what, you just got all this online? Uh, yeah, I, ju okay. I, I just listened to it on Spotify. Right. Um, if Spotify want to give me a free membership, that'd be nice. Um, they won't. No, they won't. But I, I, I was wondering, I mentioned this online, that Larry plays... <laughs> it's like a tenner a month, you cheap guy. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I know. But I've mentioned them, you know, and someone might sign up because of that. Anyway, I mentioned online that Larry plays piano on this. I assume... It's not the opening chords. I assume it's the um, the sort of the little I don't know what it'd be like arpeggiated bit in the in the in the chorus um, that is a bit simpler. No offense, Larry, but that seems like the bit he would play. 
Um, and it's beautiful. It's it's a really really nice song. I thought that the when this is one of the earliest songs that came out of this. I think it was Pride first, then maybe this. I might be getting the, the order wrong, but it was certainly one of the first ones I heard, and I thought it captured the um, the beauty of the original. Had an urgency about it that was really moving. It's it's a it's a great version. I feel like there's a lot of interesting parts in the song, like a lot of different ideas, different melodies, uh, sometimes just being played on a different instrument. Yeah. Um, all very nice, but I think all of them could have been used better in a live setting, you know, just replacing, you know, what, just replacing one section with a little, you know, a little piano bit, mm-hmm. just to create a slightly different version. And it's like they've thrown in snippets. Yeah. And it's it feels a bit Frankensteinian this song to me. I think the entire album sometimes feels like that. Um, like Pride in particular, when we get to it, has has that quality to it as well. Where you think, is that actually a bit from the original version that they've they've sort of stuck in here, or oh, it's weird that they've gone in that direction. Um, but yeah, I think this is a good way to begin the album. I also some people get really fed up when you two change melodies or or augment things in a different way. And I will say that the Mary J. Blige version mm-hmm. of this is the worst offender for me. Like I cannot listen to that version because of how badly the melodies are changed. Yeah, I haven't heard it since it came out. Well, look at you. But um, but generally, I don't have a problem with them doing slightly different melodies. And this seems like a good version of that. Where were you hearing the Mary J. Blige version? Oh, just you know, in the in, on the on the bus, in the shops, <laughs> on the train. <laughs> I don't know. I've heard it. I've heard it before. It pops up every now and then. If you just listen to a general YouTube playlist, it'll, it'll eventually pop up. Yeah, it is really, really bad, that. Um, I didn't feel there was any emotion in this song. Really? And, and no real emotion. Like, it's a very... One is a song that's actually, the last, few, the last couple of years, started to... You know, it's a song I'd want to listen to, and it, mm-hmm. it's never really been like that for me. It's a great song, but I've never wanted to hear it that much. But this, yeah, this seems like it... A lot was subtracted, and and not a lot was added. Mm. But I can imagine it being used on a BBC drama in an emotional scene. <laughs> you know, like, mm. I, I can see that that might be its place. But I'm, I'm going to question many times throughout the course of the next 40 songs. Where did they imagine these songs going? Again, it's a lack, I don't, it's a lack of focus. I don't, I don't know. I, I think if you... And when they've had interviews, I was going to say if you ask them, but they have had interviews about this, and they don't seem to be able to fall on a particular answer of what are these songs or what are they doing and Bono loves the narrative we all know that so then he starts saying like well some of the songs we, we, we've we never really quite finished them and all that other kind of stuff but then you look at some of the songs on here a song like Beautiful Day for example is the most finished U2 article you could ever have it needs nothing changed about it yeah. a, a, a good question to Bono if you, if you get the chance to interview him is um, what song is finished? He would probably answer, uh, like Paul Valeri, that uh, good songs are, are never finished, only abandoned in a sort of mystical kind of way. Right, well, um, let's get on to what I like. I really like the piano build into, I, I believe, the second chorus. It might be the same in the first chorus, but I noticed it Well done, Larry. coming into the, the second chorus. The Love is a Temple voices are really out of place took me out of the moment completely mm-hmm. um did not like that i think that's a really really bad choice and they should never do that again um <laughs> oh i was just hearing that's all of our listeners gone yeah and i was just i was just thinking uh, is it larry on drums 
because Bono could have done that. The, the, <laughs> yeah. the, the, just a very static military beat. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Maybe it was a, a pre-Larry, you know, not a, an already Larry version that they'd had in there. Yeah. Well, um, we're off to a good start. <laughs> that's <laughs> that's track one. Thirty-nine more of these <laughs> to get through. <laughs> On to track two. Where the streets have no name. In at four minutes and seventeen seconds. Uh, so this is one that Bono has been reworking for ages. I, I I think every time they play this live, there's a slightly different emphasis and. I feel like sometimes that can be difficult to square new new melodies. The bit where he says shade or shelter, I feel like he's he's trying to just fit too much into that line that it'll actually hold. And something not quite working is often worse than something that's totally off because you'll get rid of it. Whereas something that's like, yeah, I guess that works. It's just about good enough. That seems to have happened here with a couple of these lines. However, on the positive side, there's a real closeness and vulnerability that I really like in Bonner's voice. I think for the majority of tracks his voice sounds very good and it was really well recorded for the vast majority and then you notice it when it's off or really bad mm. but my question is i just would rather hear that on some new songs like let's take like bono's in a really good like moment for his voice let's capture that on some new songs that would be nice yeah i think this is about as different a version of streets as you could go with it's not something i would have predicted mm. and um i don't want to say this happened accidentally but i think it might have happened accidentally mm. i get a good sense of story and place and character from this version of this song where the streets have no name um it sounds like drunk bono at two o'clock in the morning he's in the gutter He's a bit thirsty. Uh, he's dropped his kebab. Right, okay. Where, where is this weird fan fiction going? <laughs> like, I, it, it, it sounds like it sounds like he's, you know, at his lowest ebb, mm. and it's interesting. That's an interesting character to yeah. to view to hear singing this song, which has so many connotations. Um, with the fight against apartheid and uh, Bono's visit to Ethiopia, yeah, uh, but also the um, the situation Dublin found itself in when Bono was growing up. It's very vulnerable. It's very raw, and the idea of a drunk man singing this song mm. when he's not his will, but his night's fallen apart, and he, you yeah. know, he's trying to find his way home. It's an interesting juxtaposition of ideas, and I it struck me as this is very artistically interesting. But I don't think they meant it to sound like this in the slightest. I don't think Bono turned around to Edge and went, "Why don't I sing it as if it's two o'clock in the morning? I'm drunk. I've just dropped my kebab, and I'm trying to find my way home." No, I don't imagine he did. And I'm a bit thirsty, <laughs> right? I don't. I I don't think he he said that. But I I got a very strong sense. Of kebabishness, kebab. Yeah, it just it's it maybe maybe that's the way I live my life, but it's not because I'm I'm normally in bed by twelve these days. But twelve, <laughs> showing off. But I I got a very strong sense of it. Um, the only really re the only real thing I didn't like about it was the piano seems to deviate from the original tune too much. It goes off in a different direction, and it ended up sounding like the soundtrack to Chris Martin's Daydream. 
but that's the only bit that I didn't like about so it. I quite liked. I, what I was going to say is a sort of counterpoint is I, I see. I don't know about the kebab stuff, but like I get that Bono sounds like a bit more world weary here, a lot more than he usually does. And yes, this is a song that is very triumphant a lot of the time and very mm. big and positive. So I quite like the sort of almost greyed out, washed out colours that are being brought in. And I think the synthesizer really backs that up because there's there's moments that are a bit more minor or a bit more discord and uh, in a good way than than just a, the regular song which is very i mean you know jerusalem and like hosanna ish you know and really like all, all or nothing so i i quite like that, that that version and this is this is decent it's good um i've got written down 345 burning i think that's when bono attempted a very interesting falsetto at that moment so just have a listen to that bit where he says burning um there because ri- apparently it's, it's worth me writing it down so there's just some moments where I think like uh, there's vulnerable and there's you know imperfect and then there's there's that. Right. Track three. Track three. Stories for boys from boy. Two, two minutes, minutes fifty one. Are we are we announcing the things in sync now? Well, all the harmonies on this album really made me wish that our podcast had more well, harmonies to it. Well, you have to give me a give me a, no- a script. A note. Well, something to, to get me to do a harmony. Um, so this was one of my most highly anticipated ones. Uh, I was very excited for this. And again, if we do a reimagining, so to speak, of uh, Songs of Surrender, I would love them to have gone back and said, right, do you know what? We didn't get everything quite right all that time ago in, in, the, in the early 80s. Let's reimagine those songs. We have a really clear focus on Boy, October, some of the offcuts. Um, of those albums and let's do reworkings of those you know boy reimagined boy revisited that sort of stuff i'd love that and that would be a narrative to go from but um but no this is just one example of something like this and i think edge's voice is really great here and it's a it's a nice to see it, it's nice to see him take the lead and it also expands the song in an interesting way so stories for boys originally is just a kind of fun madcap caper about comic book sort of world that kind of thing it's but, Lord of the Flies isn't it that's Shadows and Tall Trees is it I think so it's been a few months since I read the book <laughs> well um, but here this is them reflecting on themselves as boys and looking at the stories that they themselves told as songs and then there's a kind of sad plaintiveness in Edge's voice when he's saying in my imagination there is static and flow is that a good thing is it a productive thing it sounds good in some ways because there's flow and there's movement and but it also sounds kind of like um there's busyness and frustration and you're not able to tune into something properly that's the sort of thing that this collection could have been at it well is at its best i really really like this this version i think it's beautiful i've i've found myself singing along to it when you know i've been like cycling around it's um (laughs) it's good what what are you making this face for it's rubbish no because the the thing that uh, kind of the first thing that irritated me about this song was uh, that they, they, <laughs> the first they, of many they, they've taken out the the O's you know the, oh, oh stories for oh yeah, yeah which is a, a good a nice little punky sing along bit yeah that wouldn't fit in this version that I would I would normally like you know that's a bit of the song I would enjoy singing and look forward to mm-hmm. and then it's, it's not here Fair enough. Um, what else do you hate? But no, I agree with you. It's nice to hear Edgy's voice. It's been really underutilised recently. I think the last time he sang um, a song on an album was Numb. 
1993 uh, Zeropa. I mean, we're probably splitting hers about what counts as this, but if you mean like taking it on as like a solo yeah. thing, uh, yeah, pro- possibly. Yeah. I don't think there's been one since. Uh, nothing can't... on pop. It's not, it's and there's not... certainly nothing after that. Mm. Well, there's, again, there's like moments, like the bit in Stuck in a Moment where he where he takes uh, a really yeah, but as, as in he uh, is the lead himself. singer of the song. Yeah, yeah, I think that's yeah. fine. Yeah. Um, so it's nice to hear him. He's got a great voice, uh, really underutilized. But again, a lot of life has been taken out of this song for, for this version. Mm. Um, I'd say a lot, of and him. maybe that's deliberately if he, if it's an old uh man looking back. Yeah. On his childhood, there would be a sadness and a loss of energy. Mm. Uh, but I don't know. I, I didn't really hear it as an old man. Maybe I don't really see them as old men. I don't see. I see Bono as an old woman, but I don't <laughs> see Edge as an old man. I, I I think there's a youthfulness to the other three members. I think Edge is the most twinkly and sparkly at the moment. Um, he always looks like he's 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 ready for a. You know, for a pint and a jig and a, and a, and a you know a, a sitting down at the piano. But I I I feel like this is I've walked into a mansion and Edge's mansion and he's just walked into a studio where there's a, a beautiful piano and he's you know without ever planning this just started playing like oh what, what about that old song and he's just started to play it and singing it to himself and there's an intimacy about that that I think makes this really beautiful and sad but in a nice way. Mm. Um, so th- this is this is like the high point for me <laughs> of this album. So I'm trying to get as much goodness in there as, as possible. And also, it was a fun p- punky song. I used to love playing this on on guitar because the guitar is so much fun. And to hear it stripped back does actually prove that point that Bono has tried again and again and again to to enforce, which is these songs have to be able to work in, in a stripped down acoustic way for them to uh, you know, have value or for them to stand up by themselves. I'm not totally convinced of that either because I think some songs that are all, all production are really good songs anyway. Like, take a song like, I don't know, uh, 4th of July or, um, or, you know, stuff off pop that's very, very highly like overproduced in inverted commas and it's, it's great. I don't mind production. As much as I've said about things like... Um... The latter half of Unforgettable Fire. Yeah. I would have been more interested to see some of those songs pop up. Yes, please. Do, do you know what I mean? Because yeah. some of it's unfinished. Yeah, I mean... Elvis some Presley of it shouldn't have been called... recorded in the first place. Yeah, Elvis Presley in America. <laughs> but it would be interesting to see, you know, to see them go, okay, well, this is what we were trying to do with that song. Mm. And I, I think we could do it better now. Yeah. Again, that would be a focus for an album. Yeah. Ten tracks of them going back and saying, "Look," and that would he- would presumably would feature a lot from pop, you know. So, but then they already tried to do that before um, with the the re-recorded versions that ended up on the '90s best of that we've we covered in extensive detail at one point. Yeah. Did you did you notice at the end Bono singing "Stories for Boy"? <laughs> stories for boy. <laughs> stories for boy. Yeah. It's did like, he say "Stories for boy"? He might. He doesn't do the same. Is it not cadence. just a very like? Is it not just a very silent s? I don't think so. It seems like he's making. It, it came across as a very Ricky Gervais, David Brent kind of thing. <laughs> I, I know I'll get him. The name of our first album. Mm. You know what that was? <laughs> boy. Yeah. So at the end of this song, stories for boys. I'm not going to say boys. I'm going to say boy, and everybody Story will think boy. I'm really cool and I've thought about the this. Album. Yeah, <laughs> I, I I genuinely haven't heard that. I, I, I am pretty sure he says stories for boy at the end of it, and mm. 
it was a bit cringy. Yeah. It's a bit dad bonnery. <laughs> well, he's in, he's out in full force on this album, to be honest. Yeah. What uh, Bono has a weird thing with boy, doesn't he? You remember um, you're the best thing. Yeah. That happened happened a boy. Yeah, you're the best thing about me. You're the best thing that ever happened to boy. A yeah. boy happened a boy. Happened a boy. I thought it was happened to boy. Well, well, we'll never get to the end of this, I don't think. Anyway. Yeah. Okay, so uh, track four. God, we're only on track four. Um, Eleven o'clock, tick-tock. Three minutes and 58 seconds. Um, and my initial reaction to this was, wow, a major chord. There's some happiness on this album. There's, yeah. some, there's some joy. There's some glee to be gained. <laughs> However, it is like listening to a school band trying to play a pop song. Oh dear! This is this is another one of my palpable hits. I oh really? Yeah, but yeah. It, but you're not saying that because it's it seems like yeah it's ripe for the picking. It's ripe for a reimagining because it's been so long since yeah it, it the album came out and it's been so long since we heard a newer version of this outside of a, a live tour. Yeah, exactly. There's so many good reasons to do this song. A the, the original recording was a nightmare. I looked into this a little bit um, just to remind myself about eleven o'clock TikTok. But, um, I mean, the, the short version of the story is it took forever because of the eccentricities of Martin Hannett when they were recording it. And it's amazing that the version that we've got sounds as good as it as it sounds. I, I love every version of 11 o'clock TikTok, particularly the, the Red Rocks one. And since you hear that as a young U2 fan and you're, you're looking for this on an album, then it just isn't there. And you think, but they, they put, what, they put Shadows and Tall Trees on an album, but they didn't put 11 o'clock TikTok. What, what's going on here? Um, you're sort of hungry for it to be redone. And this, I really like this arrangement. It, it feels like joyous and fun and Bono's voice is really valu- uh, valuable, not valuable, uh, it is valuable, uh, vulnerable, but it's still strong. I was really worried about the say-so bits in the you know in the chorus, but I think he pulls them off fantastically. I mean, there are various points on this disc mm. where I, I, I do question the vocal choices of Bono and I feel like, Sometimes he's trying to patch things up and he's trying to show off his voice when it's not really there. And I don't know how put on that is. One thing you, you can never really see through with Bono is what's performance and what isn't. Mm. And there was a lot of me questioning, oh, is he is he doing that to cover it up? Is he just doing a short bit of... Is it style or is it you know is it substance? I, I genuinely don't know. I think there's moments when it is very much he is very heartfelt and he and it feels authentic and and great. And there are other moments where I feel like it's he's been taken through with a vocal coach saying right okay you've had your nice like honey and lemon drink now so we can we can try and hit that particular note. And he's going oh yeah, all right yeah I guess that'll show this bit of range here. Yeah and and for for clarity on that like I think it. At times, Bono could have been considered one of the best rock singers on the planet. Yeah, I think he is. I don't know if he still is now, but... He's 60-odd. He's, yeah, he's 60-odd. Your voice goes, your voice changes, and you can either incorporate that like... Jo- Johnny Cash is different, but because he still always sounded like Johnny Cash, but mm-hmm. his voice did get more croaky and deeper as, as he got older. Mm-hmm. I don't know if Bono knows how to really use the voice he's got now. And sometimes he he tries to pull off the same tricks that he he has done in the past. That's not a criticism. It's just people get older. Yeah. Um, 
and and sometimes I was I was a bit surprised by the choices, both in good and bad, you know. Um, so that's that's my Bono notes on this. But the nylon stringed uh, guitar that Edge brings in towards the end, it's almost like Edge is doing an impression of Dire Straits, which I'm not against. It mm. it was interesting. I thought it was an interesting choice, and I I really liked it. Yeah, good. I, yeah, good. I thought you were gonna have a go at it. I, I love, I love the guitar tone all the way through, um, and this is just always one of those riffs that I, I can never get sick of. It's an eternal riff that just keeps going round and round. Um, the only thing I have to say critically about this is it, the end kind of peters out a little bit, and it feels like if Edge was using Larry's parts from a different track that he'd already recorded, he didn't have the loop long enough. And it, it I, I've done recordings like this where I've, 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 I've been playing along um, and. I've not realised that, that my, my the drums are finishing. So it goes like, oh, uh, oh, yeah, I guess that's the end of the song. And it feels like that at the end. It feels like, oh, the song is just sort of... Is that it? Oh, okay. That's that's how it feels to me at the end. There's not a big finish or, or even a fade-out. Or, or, or Larry was in the studio and went, do you know what? Done. And just dropped his sticks and, and, and went out. It, it peters out at the end, I would say, rather than finishes. But that's my only criticism. Yeah. It's it was it was a difficult one. It was it's not been the best start to the album for me. Mm, this is like the high bit for me. <laughs> right, okay. So track five, out of control, four minutes and um, nine seconds. Yeah, I was trying. Yeah, I was trying to. I was trying to do a harmony. <laughs> Made me feel strangely nostalgic, actually, which I didn't expect from this song. Yep. This is this is what's interesting about this album. It, when when songs that you know and love get played in a different way, it they can elicit different emotions than the original did uh and i'm gonna take outcast's version of hey ya which is the original and mm. then it was covered by um the blanks which is a ukulele acapella kind of yeah. cover and it it just gave the song a lot more power not not a lot more power but a different power yeah and a, a different feeling a different vibe and i think that's a really successful reimagining obviously by a different band but um i wasn't expecting out of control to make me feel nostalgic mm. over the past two years i would say i've not been feeling that connected to the u2 thing you no know, yeah because it's like they've not been do they've not been doing a lot and you know you you mature you grow up you get into different well, bands apparently they have been doing a lot they've, well, they, they've, yeah, they've re-recorded uh, 40 songs they've not been re releasing a lot so i i, I was i was taken aback by the feeling out of control gave me as soon as i heard it start i was reminded of slain and yep. bono running around not really well, i didn't run around at the the heart stage in that song but very powerful out of control performance yeah at slain that's one of the most iconic performances i would say in the in the canon yeah for me listening to that when i was 14 years old and watching that dvd i just it there was so much youthful energy and optimism and mm. looking towards the future and, and it made me remember god I, I, even though i've not been delving as deep into you two in the last couple of years there was a time in my life where mm. they were pretty much everything yeah I, they were all i would think about i've had similar really similar thoughts listening to moments on this album and though and that's one thing that we shouldn't diminish or take away because if 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 you can be reminded of that after a yeah after decades long fandom where it seems like we're actually just two miserable gits who don't actually like the band yeah which is how i imagine we come across quite a lot i love this band 
I, yeah. I truly love this band. And I'm so critical because I do only want them to be the best at what they do. But obviously what I think makes them the best at what they do might not be what somebody else mm. feels or what the members of the band themselves feel will you make yeah. them the best. But it was nice that it was just kind of a little shot in the heart of like, yeah, you do still love them. Mm. It's just some, you know, sometimes they go down a, a different path, <laughs> and it. But it was nice that they can still make me feel like that. It was a w- a window into. Well, okay, I started to see the song as a window into an alternative universe where Bono and Edge didn't get into you two mm. and this is Paul and Dave busking on Grafton Street or something. Yeah. And I imagine they still will be doing it. Even if they had hadn't become famous, I think they these two people would still be playing music together. Yeah. And I mean that that also sort of incorporates the general the vibe of this as much more of a Bono and Edge project with maybe a bit of emphasis on Edge whereas the other two are present occasionally, you know. Yeah. It, it, there's a real beauty to this song. It's not my favourite version by A Million Miles, but it it made me feel something, and really that's all you can ask of a song. Yeah, I think it's 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 very fresh, it's very energetic. This is really beautifully recorded, and I'm glad that I'm glad that this isn't one of the ones that they did in a kind of dour inversion sort of way. It's just a really bright, acoustic-friendly song, and um, Bono's taking some big leaps on it. There's 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 a there's a moment I can't remember exactly what it is. But um, I think it's just where he says out of control at one point where you think, oh, you've gone for that, have you? That, that's an interesting melodic choice. Yeah. Um, it kind of makes you wobble a little bit. But the, but the rest of it is, is really good. There was a misjudged falsetto at the end by Bono. This, yeah, there was one bit. I really, if I, I'll find it and isolate it and put it, I'll put it on now. But when I think of Bono being a great singer, I don't think of his falsetto range. Uh, well, it, comes in, it comes in at key moments. I do. And that's more so the case with Edge. Yeah, he's got more. Consi- he's sort of got more consistent... He's really good at it. Yeah, he is. Um, I also quite like this, um, the fact that there is a small switch in the lyrics. Uh, originally, it was, will it be too late? You can't fight fate. That's been changed to, you can always fight fate, which is one that I personally agree with much more. I hate the idea of fate, uh, as in, I think it's a stupid idea. And people say, oh, you know, well, everything happens for a reason. And, oh, it must be fate. No, nonsense. You can change things. People have impacts and responsibilities in the world. And I much prefer that to the kind of cliche of you can't fight fate that was on the original Boy album. So I like it when Bono does... Sometimes he averts stuff just for the sake of it. Sometimes it has a lot of resonance. Like there's the whole, you know, I, I can change the world, uh, I can change the world in me and he flipped that, all that on its head. And that is an interesting inversion of when he was a, you know, pretty much a powerless lad in Dublin to becoming, you know, a millionaire rock star and him actually being able to change the world. And he says he was a powerless lad, but he was a man about the youth clubs. He was a man about the youth clubs, yeah. I forgot about that. Okay, beautiful day. Yeah, you, this, well, this is three minutes and 53 seconds, did you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I've got it written down here and no one cares who's listening, but yeah, go on. Track number six. This is the first song you wanted me to listen to from this album. Was it? Yeah. Oh. Um, we, you know we came around and watched a documentary? We did, yeah. Um, I don't imagine we'll be doing a review of that documentary um, at any point. Uh, it was fine. It was certainly on for an hour and a half, wasn't it? Yeah, let's look. We, we'll, let's keep our powder around that in case we ever do want to come <laughs> back to it. Um, it was fine. It was all right. You know, let it drop. Um, 
so yeah, I, I I think it's because I wanted you to see them do something that I thought you would find amusing or oh godish. Now, to, to me, this is one of the most perfectly and completely finished U2 songs that's ever been produced. It perfectly encapsulates a time in my life. This is my first album that I, that I bought with my own money. Um, it's It just has everything. And I, I'm still not sick of it in the way that I'm sick to the back teeth of, of Pride, for example. This is one... If, if you ask me to pick one song that you think needs to be gone back on, redone, reimagined, retooled lyric-wise... It would never have been beautiful day. No, and I think that's what I wanted you to listen to and possibly laugh out loud slash cringe like I did when I, when I first heard heard some of the changed lyrics. Yeah, it's interesting because beautiful day. I think for many U two fans, that was the reinvention or the second reinvention mm. or third. I don't know like how many reinventions <laughs> they had. It was a return to form, back to basics. If we we're gonna. If we were going to do our first album now, 20 years on, what would it sound like? Yeah. And I think for the most part, All That You Can't Leave Behind is a really strong example of that very clear marketing message. Yeah. So it's a difficult one for me to hear reimagined because, again, I don't think it needs it. No. I don't think it qualifies. It's, and it's not. it's also not a... Did did the band actually choose the ten songs that are that are on their allocated list, or is well, that the marketing well, ploy? I, I I go back to what they themselves said about this on that Radio Two uh, show. They it, said it was just a marketing gimmick, and they were sort of laughing about so it. So Larry hasn't chosen ten songs, Bono, you know that. I, I, I very much doubt it, and yeah, and, okay. and again, it's not it's not it's not a focused project because if you're going to say, well, we are going to theme these songs, and these are, we said to the band, all of you, write down your ten favorite songs. Or you've ten songs that you need to, you think we could do well acoustically, or your ten songs that you think are unfinished that we need to go back and do with full production. Mm. That would be an interesting project to see what they put what, what they put down there. Um, whereas this isn't, it's not anything, or it's like ten different things all at the same time. Yeah. And the the lyrics in the middle of Beautiful Day, I'm I'm not trying to say everything sacrosanct. I don't care if they want to change the lyrics, they can change the lyrics. And and remember, let's let's always remember, you can always go back and listen to the original. It's not replaced it. As some people seem to have this weird thing that when a band does a new version, that's it. And they're not erased the old one. As far as I know, I still have a copy of All You Can't Leave Behind at home. Bono's not walked in and like requisitioned it or anything like that. But, I'm sorry, the, the lyric changes. Uh, it wasn't a woman who threw God out of the garden. I saw... Let's do, do the whole thing. I saw Adam asking Eve for a pardon. It wasn't a woman that threw God out of the garden. Do you remember when Bono employed subtlety yeah, exactly. in his lyrics? Yeah, not he's not present here. Speaking for us now, in Middle England, in you know 2023, mm-hmm. it's a very woke society that we live in, right? Okay. It's a very open society a very accepting society accepting society mm-hmm. it's we know how we're supposed to be nice human beings right yeah and everyone it's, equally yeah and it's more open and, and more progressive than it ever has been which i i think is uh, in some parts we're walking in the right direction mostly yeah it's a, it's a long some long people road to freedom. some people are dragging us behind mm-hmm but we're getting there, and it it's 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 quite a nice life for the most part. 
Yeah, I'd say it's sawtooth right. progress, but it is progress nonetheless. We don't have troubles like other countries have troubles right now. So I'm saying that, and maybe you'll edit all this out, but um, I I don't think Bono needs to go. Look, guys, remember it's it's not nice to hate women. Yeah, and it's it comes across like that. It's like you could put that in a much more poetic way, yeah, he's cracking which would resonate more. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think the problem is the subtlety of that. And yeah, it comes off almost as preachy, like, oh, remember, it wasn't. And it's like, what, what are you on about? Like, do you mean in the Bible? Do we have to go, what are you talking about, Bono? So yeah, I feel like it's using a sledgehammer to crack a nut, essentially. Yeah, it's... And, the, and then that ends up being counterproductive, I would say. I think it comes across it as bit... cheap. It comes across as, uh, oh, Bono and you 2 turn Beautiful Day into a feminist anthem. Mm. Well, maybe it was always a feminist anthem. But yeah. maybe the lyrics needed to be read into a little bit more. Yeah, or do it on a different track or, I don't know, Big big Girls Are Best or something like that. And, and it only bothers me because I think they're better than that. I think they're better than that because I've seen them do better than that. Yeah, they've made more, more, more positive and interesting songs with way more subtlety. And I think so- subtlety is more important because... If you go in with that sledgehammer approach, then you, you, you just, yeah, you come off as, as essentially saying, I know how this, I, I've got the moral high ground here, and everyone needs to listen to what I'm saying at the moment, and that's not a good look for, not a good look for Bono. I, I agree with the message. There are some people that need to hear that message. Yep. But also, not in this weird biblical parable thing, though. No, it's yeah, it's well, uh, track number seven, bad. Uh, five minutes and 31 seconds. I really, really hoped that this song would explode into, you know, the owl noises. The hoo-hoo! Yeah. Hoo-hoo! Hoo-hoo! Yeah. Yeah. That's your kid's voiceover work uh, booked in there. The BBC will be on the phone soon. And, and and I didn't know where it was going because obviously I hadn't heard it. So I, I was really hoping that it would, you know, there'd be this explosion of sound mm-hmm. and it would get, I suppose, a bit ethereal. Um, and I think it, I think it did go there. And I think this, this version of, of bad makes sense and that it, it seems like one thing. Mm-hmm. And in that way, I suppose it's better crafted than some of the other reimaginings. But as with a lot of this album, and maybe I'm just listening to it in the wrong way, I feel there's no energy or there's a lot less energy than the original. Mm. And I don't, I didn't get any nostalgic feelings of like, oh, they're harkening back to this, they're looking back with regret or with sorrow or just any, you know, any kind of learnt lesson looking yeah. back on the song. Um, so while it was it was nice it didn't do anything for me mm. I didn't want to turn it off enjoyed it while it was on yeah but I don't know when I'll listen to it again unless I ask Alexa to play you too bad mm. I was just checking she wasn't gonna do it then uh and um it plays a song from songs of surrender yeah and in that case, if you which did, is really annoying, by the way, if you did want to hear what's annoying, the, when you ask, oh right, when I you see. ask her, right, to that, 
you know that thing that's listening in the corner. Yeah. When you ask her to play one of these songs now, yeah. it will go for the most the, S- the SOS version. Oh, okay. Well, I guess you've got to be a bit more specific, but I suppose that is annoying. And you're a busy man, obviously. Yes. Um, <laughs> but you, if you wanted to listen to that particular song, I would personally, I'd probably rather listen to why the Wide Awake in America version, and then I'd rather listen to the Unforgettable Fire version. Certainly before this one. So, yeah, I agree. I, I don't think this really adds very much to anything. And um, I was glad to see it on the list, though, because I don't think this is too obvious. No. And I was look, I was surprised when we saw it for Joshua Tree. I, I thought, oh, that's an interesting choice. I didn't think this would be coming out. Yeah. And it's a beautiful, moving song. I, I, say, I sort of want to say, just again for clarity, I love you too, and I love <laughs> all these original songs, you know, so much. Um and it is a bit frustrating, but I also... I, I don't know what else you can do other than compare them to the previous versions that you've heard. Well, yeah, I mean, I guess you could say, well, they're sometimes they're their own things, but they're not really. They're not so deconstructed and put put together again that they're their own things, apart from in a couple of cases, which are sometimes hits and sometimes misses. I found that the... I found myself really agreeing with Pitchfork on this, actually, and I didn't read through the entire review but something sort of struck me as as troubling about this version of bad and it's because of the switch perspective that i i don't like it you know the fact that it says if i you know rather than you Mm. and this the part of the beauty of this song is in the the second person is you know if you the unknown yeah Yeah. exactly so i don't want i'm not going to do lots of big quotes here but i thought this summed it up better than i could and I, i don't normally quote things from from particular reviews but i think this does sum it up and even you might totally disagree with this, um, Tyler and listeners, but I thought it's an interesting perspective. So, likewise, the exercise of switching bad, the band's 1984 song about a friend's struggles with drug abuse, from third person to first person, if you, it's second person, anyway, um, disrespects the song's original intent. What made that song, about watching friends go through literal life and death situations, one of you 2s best, was how well it emotionally communicated the bleakness people felt, the loss, the regret, the sorrow that Bono manifested, in the performance i agree mm. altering the lyrics now to put himself in the story doesn't help it or clarify it or improve it because he was already there so yeah I, I, sometimes there are decisions made and it goes back to this well we could make an album that's got 40 tracks on because we've got a, a song called 40 all right so what so what bono's saying if i i don't think it reveals anything more that wasn't there you know the, the, a little shift of pronoun can make a massive difference in a song, but here it doesn't add anything. So, I'm sorry. No, again, I mean, so. you put a song like Bad on, which has a great reputation amongst fans and amongst non-fans. I remember someone a long, long time ago asking me um, what that what Bad was, what song Bad was, because yeah. they'd, they'd heard it performed at Live Aid, and this was 22 years later. Yeah. I'd heard I was a big U2 fan. Mm. And I said, what was that song that they performed at Live? So he'd, he'd had that question in his head. It stuck with him for 22 years. And I, I told him, oh, it's, it's bad, that. You know? yeah. No, he said, no, it's pretty good. And I said, no, the song is called Bad. <laughs> so, um, but, yeah, you see a song like Bad on there and you think, oh, I bet that's interesting. And interesting it might be, but mm. it's not. Yeah, It's not something I'm going to reach for. And they, I think this will be a candidate for people saying, well, they don't feel that they properly ever completed that song. It was sort of pseudo-improvised in the studio. But the Wide Awake in America version, the version that exists on the Elevation tour, these 
this that song has hit its complete zenith you know there is no better version of that song you know it's you're not going to get any more juice out of that lemon so to speak anyway yeah. lemon would have been good i wish lemon was on here anyway in at track number eight every breaking wave five minutes 11 seconds right um, if people have switched off because of being uh, critical then then it's going to continue i to you know i don't know why people would listen to a podcast that they completely agree with it's the bits that you know where we differ that i find interesting okay well, let's see if we differ on this okay uh not us i mean like if you're listening to a podcast if i'm listening to a yeah, podcast true and the podcaster disagrees with my i'm more interested well, you, at that. you don't want to get into an echo chamber it's just the same thing over and over again no it's, it's like what i was saying earlier support the band because you like the band mm. but if they come up with something you don't like mm. don't just blindly follow them the yeah. best way to support any band or anything you're into is to tell them what you what you yeah, dislike you about it. don't be mean about it just be like look i don't think they meant to you know sit down and do w- worse mm. but <laughs> You know, given the project, there wasn't much scope. It's, it was unlikely that they were going to do forty versions of songs that every, everyone was going to go. Do you know what? Every single song is better than the original. Yeah. <laughs> the, the chances of that happening are so slim mm. that they shouldn't be surprised at this reaction. I wonder what the. I mean, like I said, I think it's a mixed reaction. Most reviews that I've seen, and again, this is literally just me casting my eye over Wikipedia once. I think most reviews are hovering around the middle sort of thing. So I don't think anyone has said this is a massive flop or been, um, you know, totally over the top like, in their reaction like they were to Songs of Innocence. No, it's nice and it's interesting. It's interesting to see them looking back. Mick Jagger and Paul McCartney are supposedly writing music with uh, Keith Richards and Ringo Starr. They're, they're apparently going to do a super new music. group. New music. They're apparently... This is four 80-year-old men who have... Pretended to be eighteen for sixty years. Yep. No, I imagine it's going a bit to, late, isn't it? They're going to write an album mm-hmm. like they're still eighteen. Good. Yeah, well, they're good, not. Well, if they went into a room and went, you know what? We're in our eighties now. We do have different things to say mm. than what we said when we're in our twenties. Mm. And maybe this is a good artistic, creative endeavor to say that stuff. But it's not going to be like that. I, I love Paul McCartney and I, I love Mick Jagger and the Rolling Stones, but I think I know which way this one's going to go. Mm. So I do prefer the U2 method of like, okay, Adam, Larry, if you don't want to be involved in this, that's fine. But is it okay if me and I'm Bono, if me, right, okay. if, me if me and if me and Thedge, uh, oh, now you've started the accent, go then. into the studio and uh, we we do some we do some reimaginings of the songs. What do, what do you think about that voice? And they would go, oh yeah, do what you want. I'm gonna be, you know, on my bike. I'm Larry now, right? Yeah. And uh, and, and Larry accent. Adam might turn around and go, well, I I, I am going to look at my watches. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, like it's it's a good artistic use of time, and it is preferred to what I will no doubt listen to in a few months. Well, we'll see that when you do review whatever. Tum- that suit- when we tumble the the. Are they gonna call the Rolling Beatles? I don't know. I don't know what what would you what. Um, answers on a postcard, please, yeah, or yeah, just simply it. tweet us. What would the supergroup name be for Paul McCartney, Mick Jagger, Keith Richards, and Ringo Starr's supergroup band? Mm, the OAPs. Um, right. Every breaking wave. Every breaking wave. Yes. Yeah. Right. I seem to be in. A, I've said this before. I'm sorry, but I, I seem to be in the minority of people who think that the 
including you too, because they didn't, apparently didn't like this version that they recorded for Songs of Innocence. That to me is is every breaking wave. I love the production. I love the do 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 on the really like big guitar sounds and all the synth in the production. I like that, and I know that you had a, a soft spot for the quiet piano version. Okay, both yeah. very nice. This version is completely unnecessary. So it's not bad. Mm. It's not good. It is. Every breaking wave, like you've never heard it's it. Too soon, isn't it? Oh wait, it's exactly the same way it's been <laughs> yeah. played so many times. Whether yeah. it's sat on a porch, or at a music ceremony, or wherever, I'm I'm just sick of this version. Well, I don't know if I've said this on the podcast before, but I think at the time this song came out, yeah. it was one of the best. <laughs> you said this hundred songs that they'd done in probably twenty five years, something like that. Yeah. Right. Okay. You sounded um, really like pleased with yourself when you said it as well. <laughs> um, I, st- I still hold that. I think it's it's an almost perfect song, and it's a surprise for a, a band in the, um, well, you know, Virgin on the Twilight years to come out with something like that. Yeah. And I didn't expect this song to be on. It was too soon, really. It only came out ten years ago. You were going to have to do something drastically different with Every Breaking Wave to make it mm. uh, interesting or. or valid for a place on the album i don't think we got that i i this is seems to be to me to be a very standard version some instruments switched out but it's it got me thinking like well let adam sing it (laughs) at least it's different would you not be more interested to listen to every breaking wave on this album if you knew adam was singing it interested yes but not, but in the same way that like someone said, oh, there's an interesting smell coming from the basement. Like, as in, no offense, Adam, but I mean, like, zooming in, zooming out. You know, like, I don't want it to be like every every breaking wave. A spoken word version of Adam doing it with no backing, maybe the backing of something crazy like a triangle or just a tabla or something. Yeah, fine, okay, that that would be cool and interesting. But this, yeah, this version is so unnecessary. So yeah, I, I agree. Yeah, I'd rather have the Adam, Adam version. It's not different. It's not different enough. Um, I actually so... wondered if it was just if they would. If it, I was looking to see if it had you know live from, and it was just one of the versions that they because that's essentially what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Unnecessary. Um, I think also it's it's there to maybe show Bono's vocal prowess, which is which is in full force here. Fine. Um, but. One of the theses of this, of these forty songs, seems to be, people didn't like songs of innocence enough. Why don't you like these songs more? And I, I already love songs of innocence. To me, it's like it's, it's not top tier YouTube, but it's very near there. You know, it's very high up. If you look back at our best of list, it's it's very high for me. And I don't need convincing this is a good song, and I don't need convincing that uh, other songs off that album need to be reworked like this. Or why don't you go back and do some of the actual fascinating, interesting, overlooked songs off that album? Like, This Is Where You Can Reach Me Now. Where is that song? Yeah. so annoying. It's very, very irritating. Mercy. Mercy, yeah. No, I, I was thinking about that. Have earlier. mercy on all of us and release the damn thing. Yeah, but I'd want the version I like to be released, which is like a sort of, in my head, it's a mixture of the two versions that exist. Anyway. I, I've got the the one that they released for Record Store Day. I don't think I've ever listened to it on the vinyl, though, so we could do that when we have oh, a break, if you want. Yeah, yeah, that'd be nice. Right, okay. <laughs> um, right, okay. Track nine, uh, Walk On the ukraine version yes what i like about this do you mean the ukraine version or the ukraine yes they sing in ukrainian no i meant as in i was confused i didn't know if you were still calling no no so the title the title is walk on in parentheses ukraine 
Yes, right, good. Okay. That's fine. So, um, I do like that they have named this walk-on Ukraine. Yes, good. Therefore, my criticism won't be as harsh because it's not branded as this is walk-on. This is a newer song that came out a couple of years ago. Yeah. A year ago. It's, an, it's like an alternate version. Yeah. But it's, it's weird that we have to say that on this album. Yeah. It, it's in... It's a, I mean, you know, it, it's interesting. But... It, I can't read my notes. Sorry. <laughs> I thought you were struggling with a really profound point. You can't see. Right. I'm not a fan of lyrics that seem jammed into a song. And there are very different lyrics here to walk on, but it's all jammed into the walk on melody. And I, and I, I kind of like, how hard would it have been to just put those lyrics in another song and just do a different song for mm. Ukraine? Possibly. I, I, I think this is a swing and a hit to, to me. I, and it, and it's not just me saying, oh, I, I you know, cause it's very easy to, to say, oh, I love Ukraine and I hate Putin. Yeah, obviously, that's that's a no-brainer choice here. Um, it's because I think, firstly, this is like an old friend I've not seen for a while. Walk On isn't played as much as Your Beautiful Days, you know, Your Vertigos, that, that kind of thing. So I, I like the Walk On is a good song here because people do love it, but it's like, oh, yeah, that song. You know, I remember that. Um, so that's one reason. But I think um, this is the perfect use of a project like this. And again, this could be another potential focus. Why not do 10 songs, but they're all, you know, be as political as you want to be lads, mm. and make 10 songs that are specifically retooled. Pride would go on there, dated to Black Lives Matter. Uh, Walk On could go on here, whatever, you know, do that as a project. So this I like in its own merit. And I think the, I think the lyrics are quite well judged. Like I like the fact that I, I I didn't wince at the new lyrics being jammed in or anything like that, and I didn't feel like there were. There's other parts in the album where I feel like oh, that that doesn't scan very well. Whereas I thought I thought this did, but also the song has always had a bit of a like taint on it since um, you know long long ago are the days long gone are the days where we were all wearing the mask of An Sun Sushi. You know, and I've got it somewhere. Oh, is she knocking around? Is she? Hold yeah. on. We're recording in Wigan today, guys. Well, I expect um, I expect that next performance we go, we'll have to um, all don our Zelensky <laughs> masks with uh, eye holes in. Is she hiding out in U2 by U2? Tyler's doing something physical here. Oh, that's a window in the sky's slipcase. Oh. That I've kept nice. Yeah, um, and she's <laughs> in u show, which is downstairs. Okay, well, yeah, and also this, this is a follow-up of when they went over there and performed in the the uh, Kiev the subway station, so I think they it's, it's not just a cash in this or just a nod to they they do genuinely care about this cause. So I think I think it's good. I think this is one of the few ones where like there's a clear concept, they've executed it well. I love the song, but I've not got sick of it. So tick 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 for me for this one. I, I, I like it. I think I've said this before. The the B side version of um, Walk On, which is heavier on piano yeah I, w- I would have really liked a version where it was just that more focus on that and i, I think mm-hmm. that would have been fitting yeah on here or or even for the ukraine version because it's, it's just beautiful it sounds so much better i can't i can't really listen to the original studio version because 
as soon as I heard that B side, it was like it was so much better for me. Mm. So th- that's really my only, the only note on it. It does get a bit video gamey towards the end. I noticed. <laughs> In what way? It it just sounds um not eight bit, but you know it just sounds like if you were trying to do it like a video. If someone mm. asked you to do a video game, yeah tune it sounded like it was I'd slightly love to hear video that. game i'd love to hear edge do a, a 10 tracks of video gamified um songs that'd be wonderful so we've got here track 10 pride brackets in the name of love three minutes 57 i think this is a nice mixture of sternness and optimism we've talked about pride a lot on this podcast yes it's a good song yes it's overplayed yes we're a bit sick of it sorry but the one of the things that makes pride a little bit too sugary or a little bit overfacing is it's very one note it's you know gleaming bright glorious defiant that sort of thing and it's everyone singing along at the same time which is what you want from you two a lot of the time you want that stadium feeling but here i feel like there's a little bit of the reflective sadness or the seriousness mixed into into this song you know rather than it being um all just like chanting and yay there's a reflection of the times that despite bono writing a song about this assassination we've still got massive problems particularly in america but all over the world with with racial equality and i feel that this version is more reflective of that so it's not just a yay aren't we great you know it's a let's keep fighting for freedom as much as we can but look around there's a lot of problems the journey's not done yet yeah exactly yeah yeah, yeah. so yeah, uh, so that was... You weren't keen then. Quite, quite, a bit more than that. Quite honestly, this, to me, seemed like... I could see the advertising board outside a pub. It's like Bono and Edge live at the Black Bull, £2 a ticket, including Hot Pot. That's what this version sounded like to me. That's quite good. That's about as scathing as... A, as I feel comfortable being talking about a U2 song, but it, it. What's new? You know. Well, they fixed the date. It's now not the. Uh, it's now the correct time when he got shot. He's been waiting a long time to fix that since 1984. Well, it was April 4th, wasn't it? Yeah, but it wasn't early morning. No. So they, that's that's like a. It's like so a, what they said. Well, when it happened, so early in the evening or whenever it is. I don't want to. I don't want to now get it wrong as well. But it's it's like a fun little nugget that they got it wrong in the original. Not that that really matters. It's not like oh, actually, Bono, you, you, your watch isn't right, you know. But um, well, there's I, no Wikipedia back then, was there? No, there's just losers doing the equivalent of what we're doing, but in more paper and pen format, I imagine. Losers. Or That's de- no way to finish the episode. Dedicated fans who love a great band. There we go. Um, I laughed out loud when I heard the guitar the first time. You know the at the end. It's I was not expecting that, and I still don't know where I stand on it. Um, but again, it feels like Edge has just been having a good time, and I imagine sort of Bono and Bono like stumbles into his studio, and and Edge says, "Look, look at this version." He's like, "Oh, great!" and pats him on the back. And then Larry and Adam are stood outside, and they're like, "Guys, do you want to come in and listen to the new guitar sound I've got at the end of Pride?" And they're like, "Nah, you're you're all good. You're all good, Edge." I think that's the way to view it. I think. <laughs> It's fun of, for fans to hear these people that we do care about and we do support and we do love and have given us a lot of enjoyment. Maybe this one is just for them. It's like, okay, I want to hear Edge and Bono having fun doing these songs that mm. they perfected a long time ago. Yeah, in some cases. Yeah. And now they're just, you know, 
playing them with a mate. I think I get. I do get that impression. Like I, I imagine they live pretty close to each other in in lockdown. The families could you know intermingle. I don't know. I don't. I don't know. I don't know if that's true, but I, that's the impression. It, it seems like they had some kind of setup setup that would allow them to. They've also got loads of tech. I mean, like, I, th- yeah. I think if you wanted to, if you wanted to record a U two album with them all in, in, in a different continent, I think it would be possible. If not, if not a good idea, I think you could, you know, you could say, well, I'm in the studio with this producer. Larry's off um, in this one, so I think it could be done. It wouldn't be a good idea because you need that live performance from them. But yeah, then maybe this is just one for them and one that they enjoyed. And I think sp- particularly uh, one for one for the Edge to enjoy. And I usually am really on board with Edge projects, but I just I, I just wish there'd been a, a, a focus. And that's my takeaway that I'm going to keep repeating all the way through the remaining thirty <laughs> songs because there's just not a clear focus. And I, I like things to be. A thing I like, like Ron Swanson. Okay, you should you should whole ass one thing, not half ass two things. There you go. Well, there you go. They are our thoughts on the first ten tracks of U 2s Songs of Surrender. But slow down, Tyler. We've not done two things that we normally do when we review a U two. Oh, sweetest thing. Are we not doing that at the end of episode four? Well, no, because we're treating this as its own individual thing. Oh, right. So I've got to choose four sweetest things. Yeah, you can do that okay. in the time that I say mine. Well, yeah, not right now. No, do you just do one for the for the one we just listened to. So of those yeah, ten, yeah, I know, yeah. <laughs> okay. It felt like a very snap decision. Um, I think I'm well. Yeah, okay. Well, my my sweetest thing for this one is stories for boys. Mine would be where the streets have no name. Okay. And your dirty day, the one you uh, least enjoyed. And remember, guys, it is always least enjoyed. It's not hate. Uh, I'm going to give it to Every Breaking Wave just because I think that there was absolutely nothing really changed about that. That was that was a close one for me because, but it, it's so unnecessary that I can't. I just have no opinion of it at all. So I'm going for Beautiful Day because I just think that was again unnecessary, but is just nowhere near as good as as the original. And the original is perfect. So mm. yeah. So there you go. Um... We're going to keep this short and sweet. We will be back with you next week with disc two and tracks 11 to 20. That makes yeah, sense. The, well, the, the next bit, la- the Larry disc is what the we're Larry doing. The Larry disc. Okay. So let us know your, your thoughts. Will we like this more? Will we get more positive? Will this be broadly the same? Who knows? <laughs> it's going to be a journey. We'll see you there. Thank you very much for listening. Bye. Thank you for listening to Review 2, the YouTube podcast. If you'd like to get in contact or for more information, please follow us on Twitter at REV underscore U2 or on Facebook.com forward slash REV U2 For those rebel type guys, why not email us at review2contact at gmail.com. Review 2 was presented by Johnny and Tyler.